Genesis chapter 22, one of the greatest narratives, greatest stories in the Bible. And I'm going to read the first 14 verses, and then we're going to talk about it together. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said on to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Father, what a glorious story that we see so clearly points to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The one who stood in our place, the one who was put on the altar instead of us. Father, we pray that you would drive home the depth of your love for us and that you gave your only son. We pray, Father, that you would drive home that our faith will be tested. And God, we desperately need you to to strengthen our faith, to convince us of who you are and what you'll do and give us great confidence that you can be trusted no matter what. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We are back in the, uh, the account of Abraham and the life of Abraham, which is really the kind of the main story of the book of Genesis. Last week, we took a one-week break, and we looked at the life of Lot. Remember, uh, Lot was a guy who was saved as through fire. Uh, he was saved from the wrath of God, but he lost his influence. He lost his family. He lost his heritage. 
he was a guy who, who mixed with the world and, and, and very much was damaged by it, by he and his family, even though he was saved. And, and so that was last week. Today we're moving back into the story of Abraham. Remember, Abraham was the one we looked at about a month ago or so, who God appeared to in the land of Ur. And God makes these incredible promises to Abraham. You know, God says, look, this is who I am. And this is what I'm going to do for you. That's the character of God. I'm going to bless you. He told Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants, as many as the stars of the heavens. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a blessing. And through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Again, God looking forward into the time of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So God makes these incredible these incredible promises to Abraham. And Abraham sets out in faith. He believes God. And so he sets out in faith to obey God. And every turn, everywhere he goes, every stop on the road, Abraham meets obstacles, okay? Have you ever felt like if anything can go wrong, it will? Have you ever felt that like that way in your life, okay? Man, that's the story of Abraham. I mean, God makes these incredible promises to him, and then all of a sudden, man, just opposition. I mean, immediately, God makes this promise, Abraham, I'm going to make you a, a father of many nations. Your descendants are going to be as many as the stars of the heaven. Abraham looks over at his wife. His wife can't have babies. She, she's infertile. She's barren. But they've been trying to have a child for 50 years unsuccessfully. The time of childbearing is over. And, they, and immediately you have this impossible situation. And then to make matters worse, Abraham does some foolish things. Sarah gets into an Egyptian harem. He's lost his wife. He does that twice. Okay, so, so situation after situation. It's one thing to lose your wife once, all right? But it's, it's something else to lose her twice. That, that's really bad, isn't it? Once is excusable, twice. You know, that's Abraham. You know, so you have these impossible situations. There's famines. There, 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 there's mess-ups by Abraham. He, he, he takes things in his own hands and, and, and gets hate. Hagar's wife and has Ishmael. There's 25 years that go by. So there's all these obstacles, all these impossible situations. And time and time again, God appears to Abraham. God reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham trusts God and God provides. That's what we've seen, haven't we? The last, last month, we've seen God provide again and again, impossible situation after impossible situation until finally last week on Sunday night, we looked at Genesis 21, the birth of Isaac. Okay. So finally, the, this child of promise is born. Finally, Isaac is born. Miracle of all miracles. Sarah is 90. Abraham's a hundred. They have this child of promise. Isaac is born. Wow. Everything's coming together. And then Genesis 22 opens up verse one. And what is God say, God says, give him back. Give him back to me. Kill your son. Offer your son as a sacrifice on the altar. Now, immediately, a couple things go through your head. Number, number, number one, okay, this deal is done. I mean, if Isaac dies, it's all over. Uh, I mean, wow. I mean, we've come this far, and if he dies... This, this whole, all the promises of God, all the world being blessed through the Messiah, it's all over with if Isaac dies. But number two, you're also thinking, what is God doing here? Because this seems really inconsistent with the character of God, doesn't it? I mean, what we know of God and what God, how God has revealed himself as a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of, of, of justice and a God of righteousness. And, and, and he doesn't ask this of anybody else in the Bible. This is the only time anything like this, even, even remotely like this, occurs in the Bible. I mean, there's lots of times where you may ask God if you can sacrifice your child. But this is the only time in all recorded history that God asked somebody else, okay, I want you to sacrifice your child to me. 
We look in the New Testament. We look in the Old Testament even. This, this is the same God who says in Exodus, thou shalt not kill. We look in the New Testament. It's the same God who tells parents, fathers and mothers not to exasperate your children, not to even frustrate your children in the sense of being inconsistent or hip, hypocrites. It's the same God who says uh, uh, of, of those who would, who would harm a little one. He says, any, any of you who, who harm a little one, who believes in me, it'd be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown in the sea. And so what we see is this is completely inconsistent with the character of God for God to ask this. And so we're so grateful that before we ever get started with this story, verse 1 tells us what God's doing. Okay, Verse 1 gives us the clue of here's what God's doing in case you're wondering, in case you're thinking what this is not God, this is inconsistent with God. Verse 1 says, after these things, God tested Abraham. All right, now that fills in the blanks, doesn't it? Now, now all of a sudden we, we, we understand a little bit more. Now, Abraham doesn't know this, but we, we can look back and we understand this. We know this. Okay, here's what's going on in this story. God is testing Abraham. Now, this is an important thing. It's an important thing in the Bible for your faith to be tested. Let me tell you this. If you're a born-again believer here today, you can be assured your faith will be tested over and over again. And now what I want to tell you is that's a good thing, okay? That's a necessary thing for faith. Let me explain to you why. At the beginning of this football season, most people said that Mark Ingram was the best running back in college football. He plays for Alabama. Last year, he won the Heisman Trophy Award, a rush for over 1,600 yards. And most people were saying that this is the best running back in college football. He had an injury this year. Didn't do as well, but he's still a good running back. But let me tell you, I want you to paint this hypothetical situation in your mind. If you could go back in time, if Mark Ingram never faced a defense, we would not know if he was a good football player. Isn't that true? I mean, well, you could put a football in his hands and pads on his body and a helmet on his head and put him out in the football field with nobody there and he could run back and forth. He could dodge and slide and jump and, and go under and roll and do all kinds of stuff for, for days and days. We would never know if Mark Ingram was a good football player unless there's a defense there, right? Unless there is an obstacle, unless there is opposition, unless there's a linebacker who wants desperately to to take his head off, unless there's a defensive tackle that wants to take his knees out, unless there's a safety that wants to crunch him, unless there's a cornerback that's, that's, that's on him. We don't know if he's a good back or not. He, he can run all over that field, but we're not going to know that unless there's opposition, unless he's tested. Well, in the same way, my friends, you can claim and I can claim faith in Jesus Christ today. We can all stand up here and say, you know what? I trust Jesus. I think he's faithful and I think he's good and I think he's wise and I think he's sovereign and I think he's, he, he, he's loving and he's gracious and he's trustworthy and he's faithful. I believe that about Jesus. But you know what? Until you're put into a position of testing, we don't really know that, do we? You don't even know that. You know, unless our faith is tested, we don't know that. You can say, Brother Jason, I believe what the Bible says. Man, I believe this is the Bible and I believe it's God's word and I believe it's trustworthy. And I believe what it says about about marriage and about relationships and about kiddos and about money and finances and retirement and my schedule and my priorities. I believe what this book says, but we don't know that. We don't know that until your faith is tested, until you're put into a position where you want to do one thing and the Bible's telling you you need to do another. That's when we find out, do you trust God? Do you believe Him? Is He faithful in your eyes? Folks, what happens when, what happens when you want to take the easy way, the comfortable way? The way that doesn't cost you anything? What happens when you want to live the life that is, is unbothered? 
You know, and God asks you to do the hard thing. You know what? God's going to ask us time and time again to do the hard thing. Man, that's my experience. That's the experience of the Bible. God's going to ask you to do that. And it's during those times when God asks you to do the hard thing that, that, that it's going to be displayed, it's going to be seen, whether or not you're a person of faith. You know, it doesn't say anything about my relationship with my children if I just ask them easy things, you know. If I get up tomorrow and I, I get ready to leave the house and I say, Son, Haddon, I don't want you to go to school today. What I want you to do is I just want you to stay home here in your pajamas and I want you to play the Wii for about three hours and then I want you to eat this bag of M&M's and then I want you to drink this six-pack of Dr. Pepper. You know, that's what I want you to do today, son. Now, you're going to have to trust me, son, and you're going you're gonna to have to obey me here and you're just going to have to trust. Your daddy knows what, you know, that's a no-brainer, is it? If I get home and he's all on the couch sprawled out, you know, Dr. Pepper bloated gut, you know, he's been playing the Wii for three hours, that doesn't say anything about him trusting me. It doesn't say anything about him, him believing his dad and trusting his dad as a good player of his life. You know why? Because I didn't ask him to do anything hard. I didn't ask him to do anything that his sinful flesh didn't already probably want to do, right? And in the same way, God's going to ask us to do hard things. God, God's going God's to put us in situations where we're forced to, to, to choose between wanting our way and our, the way of our sinful flesh and wanting the way of Christ. We're going to be put in situations where we're going to have to give up something that's precious to us. Well, what are you going to do when someone hurts you? Let me ask you, friends. That's when, that's when your faith is visible. Someone hurts your feelings. Someone, someone does something to you and, and you have a tendency to be unforgiving and to be bitter. That's when your faith is tested and it's on display. And we're going to find out if you're a running back or not. We're going to find out what's inside. And that's what's happening to Abraham in Genesis 22. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, that's a, that's a valuable thing, you know. When God puts you in those situations where... Where it's hard to love somebody or he puts someone in your life that's difficult or he puts a situation in your life that's difficult or he allows something. The Bible says that's a valuable thing. In fact, First Peter chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. That, that, that's, that's testing, isn't it? So that the genuine, the tested genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See what Peter says there? Peter says that your, your faith being tested is more precious than gold. And that's exactly what's going on here in Genesis chapter 22. You know what? As we look at this story, one, one of the things we've got to see is that this was an incredible test for Abraham. I mean, if there's ever a guy that loved being a dad, it, it had to be Abraham, you know? I mean, I think most dads like being, being a dad and having kids, having a son, having daughters. Uh, I like that. I like to spend time with my son. I like to wrestle with my son. That, that's a fun thing to me. My girls are, uh, Avery's probably an exception to that, but the rest of them are not big on wrestling. But Haddon, he still likes that. He likes to wrestle. I like to wrestle when I get home. I like to, to do stuff with him, things like uh, chore type stuff. Like uh, uh, we've roofed a couple houses together. And man, that, that's, just, that's just fun. He likes to be up there with me. He likes to kind of be a man. And uh, we go out to, to Kansas and drive combine all day. And uh, th- those things are really special to me as a dad. And I enjoy those things. But can you imagine a dad? that's waited for for 70 years to have a son you know can you imagine a dad who who all the promises of his life the entire direction of his life the last 24 years pretty much every day has been spent 
looking toward the day when he would have a son. And now Abraham finally has a son. And as you parents know, the natural inclination of your heart is to protect your children. You guys know that? Did you guys see that, uh, that deal on the, on the news this week where uh, this couple was moving across the country? I think Colorado, Illinois or something like that. And they get out of the, at the gas station and this guy hijacks their car, takes off. And, and the woman b- breaks the window. The guy dives into the car. The woman holds on. She's being dragged by the car. You know what I mean? There's just this natural inclination that says, look, you're not taking my kid. You're not harming my kid. And we all have that. Even if your kids are grown, it is still an excruciating thing for you to lose a child. We understand that. And I think that's why God chose this picture. I think that's why God leads Abraham through this this journey of having to give up his only son. Why? Because there was coming a day when God the Father would give up his son for you. And when you read about that, God doesn't want you to just blow that off. He wants you to feel what that is. And so we see a picture of it right here. Genesis 22 is a picture of the cross. It's a picture of what's coming. You know, I think there's many times where God tests us and and we've got to give up things that are precious to us. We're put in situations where things that are important or special, you know, and that, and that could be lots of different things for lots of different people. For some people, it's family. You know, your, your marriage gets, you're tested in your marriage or you're tested with your kids or you're tested in, in your friendships. For other people, it's, it's finances. There are, there are folks, man, they, they really find a lot of security in having money in the bank and having money in savings and having, you know, and there's times where God will, he'll take that away. And he'll, he'll, he'll expose us to harm. That for other people, it's comfort. There's a large percentage of the American public that their God is comfort. I mean, their God is, I, I, I want my life to be untethered. I don't want people bothering me. I don't want people, you know, demanding things of me. I don't want people, you know, in, in messing up my life. I just want it right like this. I want my lazy boy. I don't want anybody knocking on my door. I want anything hang, anybody hanging anything on my door. I don't want anybody coming by. I just, I just want to be comfortable with my life just like this. There are times where God will test us. He'll put things in our life. He'll call us to do things that make us step out, make us get out, put us in situations with demanding people and frustrating people. And for other people, it's power, influence, or sensuality. But God will put his finger on those things. And the question is this, do we love him more? That's the question. For Abraham, that was answered in his actions. In fact, James chapter 2, that... It's a great chapter about faith and works. Listen to what it says. James chapter 2, verse 21. says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now some of you are going, whoa, 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 whoa. Pastor, I thought, I thought we were justified by faith. And we just, we just read several passages in the last couple of weeks that said, Abraham believed God, was counted him as righteousness. Actually, that verse is in here. If you'll just be patient with me, okay? Uh, verse 2. 22 says, you see that faith was active along with his works. And here's the key. Faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled saying, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. what's, What's James saying? James is basically saying there that faith is not complete without works. Now, is he saying that we got to have faith and we got to have works? No, he's saying that genuine faith will produce works. Okay? It's the overflow of, of, of faith. Faith is going to do something in your life. It's going to have a visible presence in your life. If you trust Christ, your life is going to reflect that. You know, it's, it's kind of like somebody who, who, who says they got this hot car, but you never see it go anywhere. 
You know, I mean, you see them in it all the time. It's in their driveway and you'll drive by and there they are and they're sitting in their car and they got the arm out the window. They have the radio on and they wave and real big at you when you walk by. But, you know, it's just kind of suspicious to you because you never even hear the thing running. You know, I mean, it's not running. There's no there's no smoke coming out the tailpipe. You know, there's no noise and there's certainly never any movement. Okay, you know what I think sooner or later? Maybe the dude doesn't have an engine, right? You know what I mean? Maybe he's got a battery. Maybe he's got a shell of a car, but, but there's no engine there. And in the same way, if you say you have faith and you talk a lot about it and you're, you're in, the, in the right places waving at everybody all the time, but when it comes right down to it, when it comes to whether you're going to listen to you or listen to Jesus, when it comes down to whether you're going to do what God wants you to do, whether you're going to do what you want to do, when it comes down to putting Jesus first, if there's nothing there, there's no works. If the drivetrain's not spinning, then we got to wonder whether or not you really have faith. Abraham proved, friends, Abraham proved his faith by his works. I tell you, verse 3 is, is really a, a shocking verse to me in this narrative because of it's so calm. It's so calm. You know, God, God appears to him, Abraham... Here am I. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I'll tell you. Abraham rises early in the morning, saddles his donkey, takes two of his young men with him. His son Isaac cut the wood for the burnt offering. A road. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's just so boom. You, you know what's missing there that I think would be present in a lot of our lives? What's missing there is dragging our feet. What's missing there is being angry with God. What's missing there is shaking our fist. God, I've waited 24 years. You told me 25 years. God, we came here because you told us to. And it's the promised land. And you said it would be this way. And you gave me this son. And now you want him back. What are you doing? You know, there is none of that. There's this calm. He gets up early. God tells him. First thing, early in the morning. I think he woke up before Sarah even. In fact, I almost think he left before Sarah knew anything about this. If you're married and you got a son, you probably understand why he might have done that. You know, I just, I can't, you know, we got to get out of here, son. Because if we, if your mom finds out about this, you know, I'm going to be on the altar. Now, I don't know if that was the case or not. I don't know. The Bible tells us Sarah was a submissive lady. First Peter tells us that. So maybe, maybe she didn't know. But, but I mean, it's just this immediate obedience. That's what's lacking in so many of our lives is immediate obedience. God tells us to do it and we do it. Not God tells us doing well, you know, we'll think about it and we'll just kind of him all around. We'll try to maybe get this out of our life. You know, no, man, Abraham, how did he do that, friends? This is what struck me this week as I was thinking about that. Many of you in this service, last service, 945, appointed to Jerry Ayler. I said, Jerry, you know this is true, don't you? Many of you could say this is true as well. Life doesn't necessarily get easier. Many times it gets harder. And you know what happens to people? And, and, and I've been here for 14 years. And, and I know I'm not, I'm not very old. But I have sat with a lot of people through a lot of situations of life. And you know what happens? There are some people who never develop any spiritual muscle. I mean, that's what happens when you test your muscles, right? They, they get stronger. And there, there are folks that don't develop that. that they, don't, they don't trust God in the tough situations. And, and so when things get tougher, and you know what happens to someone with no spiritual muscle toward the end of life when life gets really hard? Man, they fall apart. 
and they turn inward. And they, they, they don't go out. They go out like Lot. They don't go out like Abraham. I mean, here's, here's the thing that struck me. I want to be the kind of person who right now trusted, trusts Christ. I want to be the kind of person that when, when my van breaks down, which it did, every time my wife or my daughter drive it, it breaks down. I, there's a pattern there. I want to be the kind of person that says, what was going to provide? I'm not getting angry. I'm not getting upset. I'm not getting frustrated. We're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to take one step. God's going to provide. I want to be the kind of person that when I got relationship problems or when things threaten, when everything looks like it's falling apart, I'm going to be the person that says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go pray about this for a while. I'm, I'm going to look at the scriptures and God's going to answer. And, and we're going to do whatever he tells us to do, guys. I'm going to be the person when, when I'm called upon to do something that's hard for the kingdom. I'm going to be the person that says, yeah. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's step out. Let's, God, God, God will provide. Because I know that day's coming for us, isn't it? And if it never comes, if, if all of our lives just get nothing but easier, hey, praise God for that too. But I really think that's not going to happen. Abraham and Isaac go on a three-day journey. What was that like? Some of you guys, you've been on, on journeys with, with your kids. You know, what's that like? Wherever we go hiking, there's lots of climbing and getting on trees and getting off the path and finding little creatures. And I, I, I just kind of wonder, what was that like? Three days, Abraham and Isaac together, camping out, three-day journey. The only conversation we got is this one in verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. Behold the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb? That's the only conversation. And do you notice what Abraham says? This is going to be a theme. So, so key in on this. It's going to be really important later on. Abraham says to him, God will provide for himself the lamb. You know what Abraham says to his son and, and what happens, okay? Abraham says to his son, son, God's going to provide. Okay, I, I don't know exactly how this is going to work out, but God's going to see to it. God's going to show up. God's going to do something. God, God's going to make it work. And in fact, if we go to Hebrews chapter 11, we, we get a glimpse of what Abram was actually thinking. He doesn't tell this to Isaac, but, but this is what he was thinking. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. That, that's what Abraham was thinking. Abraham was thinking, you know what? We'll go there and I'll slay my son. I'll plunge the knife into my only son and it'll be consumed on the altar. And Abraham's thinking, God is big enough to raise him back up. That's faith, my friends. Now, especially because Abraham had no knowledge of things like we do. We know of, uh, of Elisha and the Shunammite's son, whom God raised from the dead. And we know of, of, of Lazarus, dead four days in the tomb. Jesus comes up. Lazarus comes forth. He comes out of there. We know about Jesus being dead three days and coming out in glory. I mean, we have those things in our, in our mind, in our memory, in our, our recollection. Abraham had none of those. Abraham just believes. I don't know how God's going to do this, but I know God won't break his promise. And so in verse 10, after Abraham has built the altar and arranged the wood and laid his son there, Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife. You've got to believe that he's going to do this quick. I mean, man, if you, wow. 
He's got to believe he's get, he, can't, you know, he can't handle this thing to be slow. He's going to do it quick. He comes down with the life. And out of the heavens, it says, The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here am I. He said, Don't lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now, who is this that came? Who is this that saved the day? Who is this who provided? You know who that is? That's not any just angel. That's not Michael or Gabriel or any of the archangels. You know who that is? Here's a clue in verse 12. Let's keep reading. He says, For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. From me. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's the pre-incarnate Christ showing up. In Genesis chapter 22, showing up in the picture of his own death and and, and resurrection that is to come. That's Jesus before Bethlehem, before Christmas, showing up the pre-incarnate Christ to provide for Abraham and for Isaac. Jesus provides a substitute, a ram caught in the thicket. Now here's the picture, my friends. What this is really about is you're on the altar, okay? You know why you're on the altar? Because you're a sinner. You're on the altar because you have transgressed against a holy God. You're on the altar because the very thoughts of your mind are against God. You've not been interested in God. You've blown Him off. You've treated Him lightly. You've disobeyed Him. You've scorned Him. He's told you one thing and you've done the other. And you've done that all your life. And the Bible says because of that, you're a sinner. And the Bible says that because of your sin, every sin deserves the anger and judgment of God. And so the judgment of God is coming down upon you and you've got no hope because you're bound to the altar. And Jesus shows up and provides himself. God provides Jesus on the altar. You get taken off the altar. Jesus gets put on the altar. And the wrath of God falls upon him. That's the picture of Genesis 22. Somebody's got to die in Genesis 22. They think it's going to be Isaac. They think Isaac's going to bleed and die and be consumed on that altar. And Jesus shows up and provides a ram in the thicket. But you know what? Even more pressing for us today is that you are going to die on that altar. You are going to die for eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. And Jesus showed up. God provided Jesus in your place. Guys, you know what Abraham learns here? He learns Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. In verse 14 it says, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Every time in the Old Testament God does something significant, those people, they named it. They named that place. A lot of times they would build a, a mound of stones there so that every time they walked by there, they'd remember. You know, maybe we ought to do that as well so that we'll remember what God's done in our life. You know, God does something incredible. Sometime you, you have a major breakthrough and you're in the bathroom, in the shower, and God just kind of, bam, reveals. You know, maybe you ought to name your shower. You know, call it Mount, Mount Sprinkle or something. You know, every time you walk by, you remember God did something there. Some of you could look around this auditorium right here. You could say, you know what? I was over there when I was a kid or I was over there, you know, 10 years ago. And God saved my marriage right there in that pew. So Abraham names the place the Lord will provide. Because God provides what he demands. 
God demands a sacrifice. He provides a sacrifice. God demands that you be righteous. You can't be righteous. So what does God do? He provides righteousness for you in the person of Jesus Christ. God demands holiness and obedience. You can't do that. You know what he does? He provides the spirit of God to live inside of you and the word of God and the people of God to enable you to keep moving forward in your faith. God is a provider. And Abraham learns that. And and so he names the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. And friends, we need to learn that that's the kind of God that we serve. So that when you have financial struggles and when you have family problems and and when you you seek security in your life, you're not going to turn and try to control everybody and control people and control your finances and control your life. You're going to say, I'm going to look to God. We we need to learn that when we need satisfaction and joy, we're we're not going to turn to all this other junk in our life, but we're going to trust that the Lord will provide. Notice that Abraham even looks into the future. Verse 14, the neat verse. So, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is to this day. Listen, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That's future tense, isn't it? What, what, what's he pointing to? He's pointing to the cross. And he's pointing to your life right now. And saying, God will be that for you. Man, can you imagine the lesson that Abraham learned here? About God's provision. Is there anything bigger than this? Could there be anything to top this? Can you imagine Abraham going home? And Sarah saying, well, I don't know where you've been, but you've been gone for six days. And while you were gone, that hired hand that you hired last, he ran off with three of our camels, you know? Can you imagine Abraham falling apart over that? Oh, we lost, you know, whatever, how much, 10 shekels. You know what are we going to, no. You know what I bet he did? I bet he laughed. Oh, he said, you know what? The Lord will provide. Sister Sarah, you know why? Because if you'd just been where I've been, you'd know, hey, this is small stuff because God's a provider. Well, let me ask you, born-again believers, you guys, you claim to believe the Bible. Well, what the Bible says about you is you're under the wrath of God. God's wrath was coming down on you. You had no hope. You were headed to a place of conscious torment forever and ever where the wrath of God would never end. The worm would never die. That's what the Bible says. You'd be tormented forever and ever. And Jesus Christ stepped in. God provided for you a sacrifice. God provided forgiveness. God provided justification. God made you right with God. God made made you righteous in His sight. God gave you the Holy Spirit. God provided. And so so what are we going to do when we go forth today? And our van doesn't start. You know what I think we ought to do? We ought to say, ha, I can drive the scooter. That's small potatoes. Now what we ought to do? Romans 8. Yes. Not no, Carolyn Casey. I think we should say God will provide. Romans 8, 32. Are you listening? He who did not spare his own son. That's what he did for you. His own son. Don't don't just let that wash over. Picture Abraham. Waits 25 years after God promised him. Picture that little boy coming out. Him holding him up for the first time. You got kids. Some of you got little grandbabies. Picture his first steps. Sarah buying him some cute outfit in Haran when they went. First time he goes out with his dad to gather wood. 
They go camping together. He loves his daddy. You know what the image is? God says, I gave my only son for you. He who did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for you. You didn't care about God. You didn't want God. God gave him up. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the implication. If God provided for your greatest need, how can you not trust him tomorrow? Hey, listen, how can you not trust him for that broken relationship? You're going to step your feet in and say, no, 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 I'm, no, God, you're not big enough to fix this. This is going to stay broken. Boy, I pray not. You're going to trust him for a financial problem? You're going to trust him for a difficult marriage? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? He will, won't he? Who do we know? We know, we know Jehovah Jireh. We know the Lord will provide. God's a provider. We can trust him. I like what the angel of the Lord says to Abraham <clears throat> there in verse 12. He says, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know, now I know that you fear God. He says, Abraham, I know now that you fear. I know that you, you know what it means to fear God? It means you, you don't say no to him. It means you, you don't pick and choose what commands you're going to obey. It means you, you don't treat him lightly. And, and it means that he, he's at the top. Isn't that what it means? There's some radical verses in the New Testament. Some of them you kind of shake your head at. Jesus says this in, in Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Obviously, Jesus doesn't want us to hate our family. He commands us time and time again to love our families. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's what he told us. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. But you know what Jesus is doing there? Jesus is making a point. He's making a point that there's things that are special to us in our lives. And no matter how special those things are, for our life to be right, for our relationships to be right, God must be above that. He must be first. We must love him before all. What, what's God saying here in Genesis 22? Same thing, isn't he? He's taking Isaac and saying, okay, Abraham, I know you love me, but do you love me more than Isaac? If you got to choose between Isaac and me, who do you choose? Abraham says, God, I choose you. Not because I hate Isaac. I love Isaac more than life itself. But God, here's what I know. I choose you and, and you'll provide. You'll provide. You'll take care of Isaac. Are you willing to take that step today? Say, God, no matter what else is here in my life, God, I'm putting you first. You're first, God. Maybe you're here today and <clears throat> maybe you've never taken the step of turning away from your sins and saying, Jesus, I need a substitute. I can't bear my sin. I don't want to bear my sin. I don't want to bear the penalty for my sins. I need someone to take my place. And the only one who will take my place is Jesus. 
And I want you to come. And I want you to save me. You do what God's telling you to do today, okay? Father, I thank you for providing a sacrifice, a substitute. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. And Lord, I, I pray, I pray, Father, that, that we would never doubt that you are a God who provides. That you're a God who's going to meet all of our needs. That you're a God who, who so incredibly has given to us all things. And Father, teach us to trust you. Teach us to depend on you. My Father, I pray that when we're tested, God, and for some, I think it's going to be this week, maybe right now, maybe today, we're going to be put in, in positions where we're going, to have to, we're going to have to choose whether we're going to follow you or whether we're going to take the easy way or whether we're going to do what we want to do in our flesh. And God, I pray that our faith would be strong, that, that our trust in you, our, our belief of who you are, would be strong. And that God, do, that we would say you're above all things. Jesus, you are better than anything. I know that Abraham, Abraham knew that. You're better than anything. We ask it in your name. Amen. Would you stand please?